Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Fort Podcast. Doing this one solo today and going to focus on uh, why we have spent the better part of the last four years really focused on acquiring kind of class B multi-tenant light industrial in core markets across Texas. We focus primarily across DFW in Houston. We're looking into San Antonio and Austin and El Paso, and we'll eventually leave the state of Texas. But for now, Texas continues to be a hotspot for industrial just through COVID alone. We've seen rental rates increase upwards of 14% throughout the pandemic, which is crazy. So when we started buying these buildings in 2016, industrial was not uh, as sexy of a thing as maybe it is today. We really kind of kept our head down and focused on just several themes that we saw playing out. And so that's what today's podcast will be. It'll just be a run through of things that we think about, why we're buying these deals, uh, the themes that we've thought about and how they're playing out, and why we hope to continue buying more of this into the future. So here we go. I'll start with a really cool, thoughtful piece of information that really struck me early in 2016 when we started thinking about industrial. And it was really a speech that I listened to by Tony Cream from Hillwood. And he said, uh, for every billion dollar increase in online sales, there's a 1.25 million square foot need for industrial real estate. So you know, kind of step one was, did we think that online sales would continue to increase over time or decrease? And if the answer was increase, boom, we kind of had a tailwind. You know, we're not buying the big class A million square foot bombers that Amazon is going into, but we are acquiring properties that still have a significant place for online and e-commerce. It as the larger properties get leased up by these huge tech companies and, and e-commerce businesses, you're seeing companies uh, relocate into these Class B properties because they optimize for that last mile. And so that was kind of step one. Two, which I just kind of said, they're infill in nature um, and they really optimize for the last mile. So when I think of Class B, I think of properties that were built in the 70s, 80s and 90s. By nature, they're kind of more infill. They've had rooftops built out all around these industrial parks where these properties were built. And so they are already located in what would be considered last mile locations. So we know that's an important part of the puzzle for a lot of these e-commerce businesses. And we like that we own properties that can help facilitate some of the warehousing and distribution that needs to take place for them to truly be last mile. Third, just thought this was really interesting. Travis Kalnick, the founder of Uber, uh, left Uber, probably had all the data in the world that Uber had to present on where the world was headed. And the next company that he started after leaving Uber was a company called Cloud Kitchens. 
And he's basically building these ghost kitchens, which are allowing restaurants to outsource the commercial kitchen to more of a warehouse location. That way they can focus on uh, at their restaurant being more of a service provider and a dine-in rather than using their restaurant as almost a distribution facility. So when you think about um, a lot of these restaurants weren't built to house you know, 10 to 15 delivery people in the lobby waiting for food that's being ordered. And the kitchens weren't designed to create that much additional food. And so when you're ordering something from, call it a Chipotle to your house, you don't really care where it's cooked. You just care that it tastes like Chipotle, comes in a Chipotle bag, and it's delivered to your house. And so when somebody like that with that much data leaves and starts cloud kitchens, which is basically buying up these kind of older industrial properties in core markets across the globe, it just really caught my attention. And I think uh, you're seeing it in the ghost kitchen world where people are outsourcing kitchens, but I think there's a lot of other parts of people's businesses across different industries that could be outsourced at a higher dollar real estate into a more efficient industrial space, uh, not only to help them save costs, but to be able to provide for more customers and do it uh, more efficiently. So that was another thing uh, that believed in then, and, and we're really seeing that play out. It's been really interesting. Uh, the fourth, naturally, uh, the supply of it is is depleting each year. In DFW alone, we're estimating that one to two percent of the supply is depleting each year. And why it's depleting is if you think of a lot of the mixed use districts, and I'll just take kind of DFW because that's where we're located, and you think of, you know, these areas that have been totally transformed, if you really roll back time, uh, most of them were old industrial parks that have now been completely redeveloped. So if you take Uptown Dallas that now has skyscrapers and you know some of the most expensive apartment buildings and um, the American Airlines Center and all of this high dollar real estate, and you go back to Google Earth and look at it in the late 70s, early 80s, it was an old industrial park. And I think the reason um, that you're seeing these areas redeveloped is obviously industrial buildings come on large pieces of contiguous land. Zoning is relatively easy. City governments are more apt to want to get rid of industrial zoning kind of in the center city and outsource that more to the suburbs. And so um, you have uh, city governments that are pushing for less industrial internally. You have these big plots of land uh, where you can truly place make and create since as a place. And so you're seeing buildings either torn down altogether to be turned into residential and retail and hotels, um, or you're just seeing buildings being totally redeveloped into creative office and, and other type of entertainment uses. And so you have this depleting supply, and it's also kind of irreplaceable. And you know we always hear about irreplaceable real estate. It's, real, it's irreplaceable for a couple reasons. One, there's just not a lot of big plots of industrial land that can be bought in the center city where most class B industrial is located. Uh, the cost of construction is too high. And really, again, you're kind of working against uh, most cities' visions, which is once the industrial use has uh, kind of been taken out, they're looking for some new use case. So 
finding the land, finding a cost that you could build it to, and actually building a product, um, it's really, there's a moat around it. It's, you're not seeing it happen. Uh, most of the industrial that we're seeing get built are these big class A facilities, 200,000 million square foot facilities. They're not shallow bay, kind of light infill multi-tenant industrial. And so, you have a depleting supply class, but you don't have a depleting demand class. The The tenant use cases continue to, to grow. The demand for this space continues to grow. And so uh, similar to how Sam Zell thought about manufactured housing and RV parks, where again, it's hard to get those zoned now in desirable locations. He really liked it because he wasn't, there wasn't a uh, a ton of new supply coming into the market. And so it was a lot easier to kind of pinpoint supply and demand. So when, when we talk about a growing tenant demand, uh, the, the type of tenants that are filling these properties up, especially in growing markets, it's a super wide range of industries. Um, anything from contractors, engineering firms, healthcare, folks that warehouse, folks that distribute, uh, we're signing a lease with Grubhub. Uh, we have a, a in the same building. We have a foundation company. Uh, we have a wine storage business in one of ours. We have commercial sanitation businesses. It's really a lot of kind of what I would call blue collar America. That's really charged with making sure that our cities run and function and that, uh, you know, things are getting built and things are being maintained. A lot of those companies are taking space in these class B properties. In Texas, you see a lot of energy related tenants, which, uh, you know, at the current moment, you know, the industry has been better, but over a long haul, uh, the energy industry flourishes in these buildings. You see uh, excess land used for all types of storage. More recently, uh, truck storage. Um, Amazon just bought 100,000 Sprinter vans. Um, they're storing those on excess land. 18-wheeler companies that are starting to store, you know, all of their trucks. And there's a lot of ways to kind of monetize not only the land, but the buildings, again, for, for these kind of growing and, and emerging areas. And so, you have a very robust tenant base across lots of different industries um, that are that the demand continues to grow and grow, while again the supply continues to shrink and shrink. And so we really like that. Another reason why we like Class B industrial is if you live in a Class B apartment and let's say you get a raise at your job or you you make more money or you're able to kind of make a lifestyle change, you often see folks move into either a class A apartment or maybe they go buy a house. Um, or you see a business that maybe started as a startup and uh, maybe they were in kind of a class C or class B office building and things go well and they kind of uh, move up into a class A high rise downtown with a big, shiny, fancy office. In those asset classes, you're able to kind of uh, move on up, moving on up, if I, if I should say it, as you continue to become more successful. In Class B industrial, if your business does better, because Class B is really just used for the functionality of the real estate itself, 
if your business does better, you're not moving into a class A industrial building unless it's for the functional purposes of your business. You're not doing it to signal that you're you know, doing better. You're actually just growing within the asset class. So you're maybe just taking more space than you were before. There is no ladder to climb to get to a class A industrial building just because you're making more money. You only do that for functionality. And so I think of it as a really sticky tenant base that really the asset class is rewarded because as their tenants do better, they just grow within the asset class rather than grow out of it altogether. And so we really like that. Another point, as cannabis continues to be legalized across the country, it's certainly not in every state yet, but we're a believer that it will be uh, certainly in my lifetime. And you look at the states that have already legalized and see where it's being grown, where it's being distributed, uh, where a lot of the operations are taking place. Uh, You're very often seeing, again, kind of these vintage industrial buildings that have been retrofitted to work in multiple functions within that business. And you've seen rents. Um, I think I read something in the Denver market increased almost 300% in a four or five year period. And you've seen it in California, um, in some of the states where it's been legalized. So again, enormous industry uh, still in its kind of infancy as it's growing across the country, a direct beneficiary of that being class B industrial properties. Another reason why we love class b industrial by nature the historical ownership of class b industrial might have been a somebody that owned a business that built a business park or by nature they're they're just kind of smaller in size they're not institutionally owned and so we like them because as individual deals they really fly under the institutional radar they're they're too small per deal Um, And so our competitive set when we're going to buy these is much different. Um, On the flip side of that, one thing we really like is if you're able to aggregate enough of these deals together, there's a huge appetite from institutional buyers for this product. They just have to be able to buy it in chunks that are large enough to fit their check sizes. So when we're buying our competitions less, But if we do our job, when we go to sell our competition, we've opened the competition up considerably by offering um, a sizable transaction, which usually leads to more of a compressed cap rate when you're doing that, better financing options. And so what we've really learned is it's a very attractive asset for the institutions. It's just providing the ability for them to access the asset, uh, which we have um, come to learn and understand is a value add. Another reason why we love Class B Industrial uh, is the CapEx is very predictable. Uh, The largest CapEx exposure you have in any one of these buildings is really the roof. And so when you're underwriting these deals, it's easy to understand, A, how old the roof is and how much life it has left, and B, um, how much it's going to cost to replace it. Other than that, you know, you might paint a building, you might paint the stripes in the parking lot. You might redo the monument signage. You might update some of the the landscaping, but it's very minimal kind of upfront CapEx. And then within the tenants, you know, again, most of these spaces are 10 to 20% office and then a lot of warehouse. Um, And in the the 10 to 20% office, you're not dealing with tenants that want, you know, marble lobbies and gold toilets and chandeliers. They want carpet and sheetrock and 
you know, TIs that are a dollar to three dollars a foot as opposed to hundreds of dollars a foot. So it's just very predictable on kind of what your capex is going to be. Um, again, these th- these tenants all kind of require the same type of build out, and so when you're underwriting, there's just not a whole lot of like additional risk from a capex perspective that you might not understand when you're talking about, you know, class A office buildings or restaurant space or uh, some of these higher, more intensive CapEx projects. You know, you're dealing with tenants that do want marble lobbies. They do want showers in their bathrooms. They do want the latest and greatest conference room glass. They, They want all these things. And, you know, again, that's just something else that we can really predict. And the dollars are relatively low. And, and, I'll feed off of that by saying uh, we really like it because the management, I think, is a lot less stressful than it is to manage some of these higher dollar assets, uh, whether it's multifamily or whether it is office or retail. The tenants by nature, I would call them a little more humble. Uh, What makes a good day at their property is the landscaping's done, that the parking lot is striped, that Um, the roof isn't leaking. I mean, they're very kind of humble in nature. Whereas again, you get into these higher dollar properties in these very, uh, class a locations and it's just a whole nother set of issues that tenants could be upset about or what their needs and wants are. So we really like it because one, the tenant base are people that we like to interact with. And two, from a management perspective, it is, um, a lot more, I would just say a lot easier. I don't know how else to say it. On, a, on the value add front, again, we're, we're, we're focusing a lot on converting gross leases to triple net leases, uh, something that um, it's again been an asset class where you haven't seen that transition happen quite as quickly. So we're doing that quite a bit, which we like. And kind of to wrap up on that whole point is just by nature, these properties are easily forgettable when you drive by them. They're boring. They're not very sexy. And I think that alone, again, decreases the competition. It's not near as exciting as building a, you know, the latest and greatest multifamily property or a really cool mixed use development. These buildings are boring. They're not sexy um, to look at. They're sexy if you own them, I'll say, but they're not sexy to look at. So again, we, we kind of like that. We like to be uh, just kind of hiding in the back, doing our thing. So kind of to wrap it up, um, the highlights for this asset class, it's really not replaceable. The supply is shrinking. The demand is growing. These are phenomenally located properties in these major urban areas on lots of land. So you have covered land plays. There's a lot of growing industries that are going to have a need for these type of properties. Their their last mile optimization is huge. You're hearing about, you know, not only are you hearing about what's already currently considered a Class B industrial building, but you're hearing stories about J.C. Penney's and Sears, and these malls that are are going under, and how Amazon and some of these bigger companies are thinking about transforming them into kind of that last mile distribution, and so. There is a need to get closer and closer to the rooftops, and there's really only a couple property types that are going to be able to facilitate that growth happening in a way that uh, meets the customer demand at a cost that can make a profit for these businesses. And a lot of times we're seeing that land, whether it's in Class B industrial or some of these uh, repurposes of other buildings. And so 
that's what we've been focused on for four years. That's what we're excited to keep focusing on. We're in two major Texas markets now. We're looking to get into all five and continue to grow that across the country. So if you are a broker or an owner or somebody uh, that knows of a Class B industrial property that could be bought, we'd love to hear from you. Would love to hear from you if you just want to chat industrial. What am I missing? Uh, what am I not thinking about? Where are my blind spots? But this is why we believe in the asset class. It's why we've poured 90% of our energy, 90 to 95% of our energy into this asset class. And it's why we still believe that the story for Class B industrial uh, is still in the early innings and there's a lot of room to run. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at Fort Worth Chris or check out our website, www.fortcapitallp.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.